Let's pray for, for God's... I need help for preaching my voice. Lord, I pray for my voice that it would hold up here and just give me clarity of mind and, and of heart, Lord, I pray. And Jesus, thank you for this precious passage you give us that we can study today. You so love the church. It's so clear from what you say in these words. So help us to pay heed and understand and to be strengthened by it, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, when you study church history, one thing that you can see, there's lots you can learn. Studying church history is good, but one thing you can see is that from time to time throughout church history, people have risen up from within the church who have taught doctrines that are clearly unbiblical and that are deeply destructive. I'll give you a couple of examples. In the second century, there was a man named Hermas, a church leader named Hermas, who taught that when you were baptized, all of your previous sins were forgiven. But if you sinned after your baptism, that's on you. And you'd be punished if you sinned once after baptism. And this became fairly widespread belief. So you can imagine how that would mess with you, right? Another example. Fourth century, an elder in the church in Egypt named Arius started teaching that Jesus was not fully God. That he was created by God. He wasn't equal to God in every way. created by God which destroys the very heart of Christianity, the incarnation, the cross, justification by faith, everything goes down with that. And he had quite a wide following as well. One more example. 16th century, there was a Catholic monk named Tetzel who taught that you could pay for people's sins by giving money to the church. Now just think of the implications of that. I mean, that totally takes the focus off of Jesus' death, right? And it makes you think you can do other things, paying money, whatever, to, to pay for sins. It just rips the heart and soul out of Christianity. And many were swept up in that as well. So if you see that happening throughout church history, you see all these terrible errors cropping up, you can start to wonder, well, then how did the church even survive, Right? And of course, the primary reason the church survived is because Jesus, to whom has been given all authority in heaven on earth, said, I will build my church, right? So he's the, he's the primary reason. But a secondary reason why the church has survived is because godly men and women like you have obeyed what Jesus taught in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 7. Now, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We always like to make sure you got a Bible. We are passionate about studying the Bible here at Mercy Hill. The most important words you will hear this morning are the words in the Bible. Okay? My goal is to help you see what the Bible's teaching. Because this is what God's saying. These are the very words of our Creator in this book. Uh, if you are... Getting one of the Bibles we've passed out, Matthew 7:15 is on page 812 in, in these Bibles. See, Jesus loves his church. He gave his life for the church. And he knew that false teachers would arise in the church who would have the potential of destroying the church. And so he prepares the church for dealing with that in these next verses, Matthew 7:15 through 23. Let's look at what Jesus says. Verse 15, beware 
of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruits, but the diseased tree bears bad fruits. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Just pause for a second. A lot of Bibles put a big break then between verses 20 and 21, and a lot of commentators do the same. So a lot of people think that verses 15 through 20 are about false prophets, And then in verse 21, Jesus moves into a whole new topic, talking about how we can know that we're saved. Okay, My conclusion is a little different, along with other, other commentators as well. It is true that verses 21 through 23 give us lots of helpful truth about how we can know we're saved. That's in there, powerful truth that we can get by implication. But I think verses 21 through 23 are continuing the topic of false prophets. Two reasons I think that. One is... There's nothing in verse 21 in the first words that make us think Jesus is is bringing up a new topic. And the second reason is he mentions prophecy in verse 22, which is what the false prophets were involved in. So just so you know why I'm, I'm combining these sections. So keep going in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name, so the false prophets, and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, when you deal with a long, kind of complicated passage, one of the ways that I found helpful, and I've been taught this, I think it holds up, it's it's wise, is to say, what commands are given in this passage? Because commands are always main points. And there's one command given in this entire section from 15 to 23. It's right at the very beginning of verse 15. Beware of false prophets. That's the one command ruling this whole section. So what are false prophets? A prophet is somebody who speaks truth from God. And so a false prophet is somebody who claims to speak truth from God, but it's not biblical. It doesn't fit the scriptures. It's not what Jesus taught, which means it's false. Now let me give you an Old Testament example and a New Testament example of false prophets. Old Testament example. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 28. You don't need to turn there. Here's the setting. Jeremiah had told God's people from God himself that God was going to bring Babylon to conquer them. They needed to repent. Babylon was coming. They needed to, to, they were going to be conquered and then taken into exile and God would be faithful to them there. But so Jeremiah had laid out exactly what was going to happen. But in Jeremiah 28, we read about a false prophet who misled many people. He said, God would never do that. We are God's chosen people after all. We live in God's city, Jerusalem. We have the temple. God would never allow his temple to be destroyed. And he misled many people. False prophet. He was claiming to speak truth from God, but it was not truth from God. It was against what Jeremiah, the prophet, had said. Another example. I'd like you to turn to this one. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. 
It's on page 1023 in the Bibles we, we passed out. Here's a New Testament example of false prophets, what false prophets were saying, what they were doing. 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Here's what John says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. That is, do not believe everything that someone says is being spoken to them by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Be wise. Be discerning. Don't be gullible. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why do we need to test the spirits? For, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Here's John saying, many false prophets have gone out from the church into the world. They're false prophets. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So what these false prophets were saying is God has told me that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Now it's hard to know exactly why they were saying that, what the implications that were, where that was coming from, but that's what they were saying. And that's wrong. Jesus Christ was fully man, okay, and fully God, both. And they were messing with the fully man part. He didn't really come in the flesh. And so John says they are false prophets. What they're speaking, what they're teaching is not according to the scriptures. And so they can be claiming to speak by the Holy Spirit, but it's not from the Holy Spirit. Test the spirits. Okay, so false prophets... Jesus is telling us to beware of false prophets. Who are false prophets? Those who claim to speak truth from God, but what they speak doesn't match God's word. And so it's not from God. They're false prophets. Now, why should we be so concerned about false prophets? Verse 15, I saw two words that show us the dangers. Verse 15, read that again. Beware of false prophets. That's one danger, because what they're saying is false. Who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So there's two reasons we should be concerned about false prophets. One is because what they're saying is false. It will head people down a wrong path. Remember last week we talked about the narrow road and the wide road that leads to destruction. And false prophets can move people from the narrow road to the wide road that leads to destruction. Okay, so that's, that's a danger. So that's one reason is because what they're teaching is false. The other reason is because they are ravenous Okay, just like wolves devour sheep, so their falsehoods will devour, destroy believers. This is why false prophets are so dangerous. Okay, now, does this mean that every doctrinal disagreement involves somebody who's a false prophet? No. Let me give you an illustration. We here at Mercy Hill, the elders believe that all of God's spiritual gifts, all the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament, God is still working through those today, and we should pursue them. We believe that's what the scriptures teach. That's why we have time for spiritual gifts on Sunday mornings. There are godly people, some of my heroes in the faith, who teach otherwise. They teach that not all the spiritual gifts are still active today, that God's not still working in all those ways today. So does that mean that because I think that that's not what the Bible teaches, that they're false prophets to me? No. It doesn't mean that. Now, why? 
It's because there's lots of areas where believers can agree to disagree because the difference does not involve areas of salvation. The disagreement is not a matter that's going to destroy someone's faith or move someone onto the wide road. Okay? So you've got to make some distinctions here. Does that make sense? So the question is, does every doctrinal disagreement then mean that, well, if I'm right, then they're a false prophet? No, there's lots of topics like that, like infant baptism, okay? Some of my heroes in the faith believe in infant baptism. Some of you believe in infant baptism, okay? But that's not what we do as a church here. You can be a member at Mercy Hill and still believe in infant baptism as long as you're okay with what we believe and how we practice. So we don't need to call each other false prophets if we disagree on that point because that's not going to affect your salvation. Okay? It's not dealing with the Trinity. It's not dealing with uh, justification by faith. It's not dealing with Jesus being fully God and fully man. Those kinds of, of issues. So not every doctrinal disagreement is a, point of, is a matter of somebody being a false prophet. But there are falsehoods that can destroy believers. And we need to be aware of that. We need to feel the, the weightiness with which Jesus is speaking here. When we're talking about issues like who Jesus is, justification by faith, sanctification by faith, the cross, those kinds of issues are salvation issues that can impact whether somebody is, a, is saved or not. Those are the issues that could destroy someone's faith. And so this is what Jesus is talking about here. That's why we should be concerned about false prophets. They might be thinking, really? I mean, it's 2012, and hasn't the church gotten all these things worked out? I mean, haven't we figured it all out by now? Um, The church has figured out, I mean, it's not that the church has figured it out. We've, We've understood the scriptures but we are still needing to be aware of that. And there's two scriptures I'd like to show you for why. It's what Jesus said, just to the right of Matthew 7. Look at Matthew 24:11. In Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking of what's going to happen between his first coming and the end of history when he returns again. And look at what he says will happen in an escalating way towards the end even. Look at Matthew 24:11. This is what's going to happen between when he spoke and the end. He says in verse 11, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And look down at verse 24. He says, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So we do need to be aware of false prophets. Jesus said that throughout church history and escalating towards the end, there's going to be false prophets arising. So we do need to be aware of them. Okay, so how? How how do we discern if someone's a false prophet? Look again at verses 16 through 21. I think here he tells us how. Look at verse 16. Start there. You will recognize them by their fruits, he says. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, some of these false prophets, I believe, you know, you're the Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the way we can tell false prophets is by their fruits. I think there's two, two aspects to fruits. One, one aspect of fruit is lifestyle, okay, how they live. All right. So if their lifestyle is not in accord with God's word, okay? Now again, nobody's perfect. Understand that. But if somebody is sinning uh, willfully, openly, uh, without any repentance, without fighting against it, without confession, without remorse, if they're just embracing lifestyle that's against what the scriptures are teaching, then that fruit would show that they are not from God. Okay, so one aspect of fruit is lifestyle. Another aspect of fruit is, is teaching. Okay? Fruit is life and fruit is doctrine. How you live, what you say. And so if their teaching is not in accord with, with God's word, if they're teaching doctrines that can destroy believers, that deal with the, the crucial tenets of the faith, then, that, then the fruit of that false teaching that they have shows that the tree is not good. They're false prophets. Okay, there's some obvious examples, I and mean, we can talk about you know cults like Jehovah's Witnesses or like Mormons, um, but there's some, can be some more subtle also. Like, I think some proponents of prosperity theology. I'm going to be nuanced here, okay? But but some proponents of prosperity theology, which says that if you if you believe Jesus fully enough, you'll be healed of every sickness. If you believe Jesus fully enough, you're going to be wealthy. Very dangerous, I think, because when one of the most dangerous aspects of it is it can, it can encourage people to love health and prosperity more than Jesus Christ himself. That's the wide road, right? And another terrible danger is what about the believer who, what about, like, what about Paul with his thorn in the flesh? Was that because he wasn't believing Jesus enough? What about the believer who's struggling with poverty or who's struggling with illness and so they're not trusting Jesus enough? I'm not trusting him. Right? You think of the destructive power of that? So, not, not, I mean, one question you could raise is, well, where, you know, where is it something that's harmful to believers and where is it something like infant baptism or spiritual gifts? And there takes a lot of wisdom. This is a continuum. It's not a black and white thing, but some are obvious, like the ones I mentioned. Jesus, who he is, what he's done, the central tenets of the faith. So anything which would undermine the authority of God's word, anything which would under- undermine the biblical teaching about Jesus Christ, the cross, justification by faith alone in Christ alone, sanctification by faith alone in Christ alone, Jesus Christ as our heart-satisfying treasure these are big issues. And so teaching that would undermine those would be false prophecy. Okay, now, at this point, I think Jesus is anticipating a question. Some of you may have had the same question, and that is, what about somebody who's teaching something a little doubtful, but like then they work a miracle? I mean, not some shyster who's like pretending, but somebody it's like, we're talking a real bona fide miracle. What about that? I mean, clearly, that means... This is from God, right? Isn't that what that would mean? Let's look and see. What if someone teaches something doubtful but works miracles? 22 and 23. Jesus answers. Here's what he says. On that day, speaking of the final judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, 
did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Troubling passage, isn't it? Now, could people really work like miracles and be false prophets? And so Jesus, was, what he's saying, and look, look again at Matthew 24, 24, I'll just quote it. You looked at it earlier. Remember Jesus says, false Christs and false prophets will arise and will perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So church, you got to understand this. I mean, we're... You know, we're in the time between the first and second coming. This could happen at any time. And Jesus says, wake up, church. I love you. I'm laying my life down for you. Do not be deceived. False prophets will work signs and wonders. The fact that somebody works a sign and a wonder does not necessarily mean that they're from God. Okay? It doesn't mean like if, if you pray for somebody in your home group and they're healed that you're a false prophet, okay? Because God works bona fide, genuine from Jesus, signs and wonders as well. But the point is the fact that somebody works a miracle does not mean that what they're saying is necessarily from God, okay? There will be false prophets who work miracles in Jesus' name. Now, how's that possible? How can a false prophet work a miracle in Jesus' name? I don't know, but it happens, Okay? I'm not sure exactly how, but see, here, here's why this would be so important. Let's just say, for example, that you've got a friend who's, who's totally blind. Not just legally blind, not just little light, but just black. Total, huge, organic problem in their eyes. Black. And, and you and your friend go to, a, go to a, a meeting, a healing meeting, and your friend goes forward and gets prayed for by the leader, and your friend's sight goes from black to color, 2020 HD, okay, it's just like from black to vision. Amazing miracle takes place. And then let's say that the leader starts to teach, the one who did the healing starts to teach, and he says, God is, has, has come to me with all humility, I want to say this, but he's, he's told me that I'm the Messiah, not Jesus. That's happened, okay? So what should you make of that? What should you think? Two things. One is, God has had great mercy on my friend. Two, this man is a false prophet. We're leaving. You say both. Right? Okay. Does that make sense? Okay, now before I get into what this means for us, what are some questions that this has raised? Okay. And I'm going to, if anything comes up that's hard, I'm just going to throw it out to the group because then you all can work on this stuff together. So what are some questions that this raises? What does this mean? Are you comfortable? Is this what the text is saying? Are we in sync with the passage here? And how do you live this out? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, The question is, is there any, can you think of one? Are there any examples in scripture of where there's different doctrinal opinions, but it's clearly not a matter of being a false prophet or being heresy in that case? I can think of one. Chris has got one. Okay, meat sacrifice to idols, right? Okay, right, right. Um, the one I thought of is whether you um, honor holy days in, in, in Colossians is mentioned or not, right? So there's, there's areas like this where Paul doesn't say that these are false prophets.
Yes, except uh, in that case, he was saying the gospel's at stake here, and you need to repent, right? I mean, he called Peter out. So that would be an example of the other of the other kind. I think does that, does that make sense? Because in that case, I mean, Paul's saying the gospel's at stake here, Peter, which is a fascinating passage to ponder. I mean, so here Paul is dealing with Peter, helping Peter understand the implications of the gospel for Judaism and so on and so forth. So that would be a different example of the other kind. Okay? So there's some. Does that help, David? Okay. Other questions? So if a pastor is constantly rebuking the flock, um, what do you think? It's good for us to wrestle with these all together. I mean, I wouldn't call that false prophecy. Uh, it sounds like a lack of wisdom and, and what's happening in his heart and, uh, you know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that false prophecy at that point. Does that make sense? Personal guilt himself, George. Yeah, that may be. Yeah. That's a different issue, though, than false prophecy, I think. Okay, so if, if, if a, a group that has healing services and charges money to get in... I mean, the, 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 the practice of... Uh, I, I, it sounds wrong. Okay, I'm not sure I'd put it in the category of false prophecy, though. Does that make sense? It's just like, listen, I mean, so... Because false prophecy is where you're claiming to speak from God, and the truth that you're speaking is not only against the Scripture, but it's, it's, it's harmful to the faith. Okay, so I'm not sure what they're teaching in those settings. So anyway, so I, I, would, I, wouldn't, I would say that sounds questionable, but I'm not sure it's false prophecy. I think so. Remember Pharaoh's magicians? Remember? They had supernatural power. Not as strong as Moses, but it was clearly supernatural power. And so, so I, does, that, does that answer make sense to you? And the implications, I mean, again, we, we love to pray for healing here. We want to have God speak to us prophetically and, and give us words that would be helpful for people. So we're, we're going to keep pursuing all that stuff. It okay, doesn't make all that suspicious. These are gifts from God. The fact that there's counterfeits doesn't mean you stop using money, right? You just make sure it's the real thing, okay? And so we will keep pursuing these issues of spiritual gifts, but we just got to be pursuing them with maturity and wisdom and discernment, okay? Only God's omniscient. Satan's a finite being, okay? So uh, I don't know what he knows. It doesn't make any difference to me what he knows of my mind. It's irrelevant to me, right? But again, if, he, if he's thinking about what's in my mind, he's not thinking about it because he's a finite being. He can't. He doesn't. He's not omniscient. Okay, he's a finite being. Demons are finite beings. Yes, both. Um, it's a huge area. It's becoming much more public now, and churches are going to need to wrestle with this and be talking about this. Uh, I mean, we we need to respect. Gays, love gays, befriend, connect with, dialogue, talk with gays. Okay, we, we need to do that. It's part of our call. But the scriptures are clear. Uh, we live in a fallen world. We're all messed up in many different ways. Some are messed up that way, right? I don't struggle with that. I've got my I, 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 pride is one of my big issues. Getting discouraged on my big issues. Others deal with anger. Anger is not really a big issue for me, usually. Okay, 
Um, so we've all got different, but none of those, the fact that I struggle with that doesn't mean that that's right. Okay, it means it's an area of sin that, I, that Jesus can deal with in me. And so the scriptures are clear. The scriptures are not fuzzy on this point. Um, and it's not loving to tell somebody who struggles with anger, anger's okay. It's not loving to tell somebody who's struggling with lust, uh, adultery's okay. It's not loving to tell somebody who has same-sex attraction that that's okay. These are not loving things. And so, uh, anyway, lots more to be said about that. But is that... I want to be nuanced in how I say that. I want us to be a church that weeps over what's happening in our culture, that doesn't... um, We're not fighting anybody, right? We're not against anybody. We're going to love, speak, witness, and see... I mean, there's people here who struggle with same-sex attraction, okay, and deal with it just like I did. I have to deal with my pride. People in this church here, in this room right now, okay? We love you, okay? I know some of you, others I may not know. We love you. We're for you. And Jesus Christ is redeeming me, and he's redeeming you. It's glorious. Okay, let me uh, wrap up. What does this mean for us? Five implications. First, understand that there are false prophets. So don't be naive. There are false prophets around today. Okay, now some of you, that makes you start to drool, that kind of language, because you're, you, you like, who are they? Let's find them, you know, and... And there are some believers who are wired in a way that you've got to be very careful. You kind of get into heresy hunting and kind of sniffing them all out. And it's like us versus them. And unless you believe in everything like I do, it's... Okay, so those of you who are drooling right now, okay, just don't listen to this first point, okay? Just relax a little bit. I'll talk to you in a moment. Um, Others of you, though, others of us, we can just tend to be kind of hang loose and take it easy and say it's all all good. And... um, you need to be wise. Jesus warns us. You will all face false prophets in the years to come. You will. Jesus said. Right? And so beware. There are false prophets. Jesus loves you. He loves his church. And so he says, beware of false prophets. Second, study God's word for yourself. Love that Scott brought that to our attention. We are not strong in this, the church today at large. We're not, we're not good in this area at all. There's such rampant Bible illiteracy. Um, I mean, just let me ask you, let me just put it this way. Have as your goal to learn the scriptures for yourself so that you can point to chapter and verse that talks about how you can be forgiven for all your sins so you don't need to be fearful of God's wrath. Okay? So you can point to chapter and verse about the cross and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus by faith. And so you can point to verses on that topic and many other topic. So it's not like, well, this is what the elders of Mercy Hill said. That's not going to pass the muster. Okay? That's like, I like to talk, that's like, that's not the sword of the Spirit. That's a rubber dagger. You know, blah, right? Okay? You need the sword, shimmering, mighty, powerful. It's the Word of God. And so our passion here at Mercy Hill is to help you wield the sword well. So you can point to chapter and verse yourself. So work on this. 
have a plan by which you're reading and studying the scriptures on your own. As the home groups come together, wrestle with the scriptures, talk about them together, study God's word. That's how you'll be able to discern when it's false prophecy. Third, help others beware of false prophets. Some of you might have friends or family members who are being drawn into uh, false prophecy. Okay? So, humbly and lovingly go to them and ask them, maybe with tears, what do you believe? What's happening here? And humbly, lovingly show them from the scriptures, from God's word, the truth of the way that leads to life, trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, and treasure. Help them see the truth of God's word. Plead with them not to depart from Christ. Fourth, beware of delighting in controversy more than in Jesus Christ. Anybody ever felt that dark pleasure that comes from disagreement and controversy? And I'm right, and I'm going to show them. Nobody else has that one? Okay, just a few. Okay, all right. I, uh, I've, I've had way too many arguments in past years that I've, I now regret. And this is dangerous. Some of you are wired this way, so you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? The, the excitement of argument, the excitement of disagreement, the excitement of proving that you're right, beware of that. Love Jesus Christ. Don't delight in controversy more than in him. Weep over controversy. It should always break your heart. Weep over false prophets. They're harming the church. Pray for God to have mercy on the false prophets. Humbly help people not be swayed by false prophets, but beware of the danger of delighting in controversy. Okay, it's it's a a real danger. But others of you are wired this last way. Fifth, beware of desiring unity more than the truth of Jesus Christ. It's especially a problem today when tolerance is uh, valued much more highly than truth. Right? And... uh, We need to love the truth of God's word because we love Jesus. And if something isn't true, then it's not Jesus, right? So we need to love the truth of Jesus Christ, love the truth of God's word. We need to be people who love truth. Now, where disagreement doesn't cause harm to someone's faith, okay, Let unity prevail, let love prevail, let harmony prevail, those areas like spiritual gifts, infant baptism, those kinds of issues. Okay? I'm not talking about that. But where disagreement causes harm, when disagreement deals with some of the essential tenets of the faith, then because you love Jesus Christ, pursue the truth. Deal with controversy in that way. Confront it prayerfully and humbly and lovingly. All right? So here Jesus says to his bride, his flock, his church, he says, with great love, beware, church, beware. These are some of my final words. Beware of false prophets. All right, let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. This issue, Lord, makes me so keenly aware of how much we need wisdom from you. 
And I love the promise in James 1.5 that when we ask you, you give wisdom generously and without reproach. But I'm sure some of us are thinking about people right now, loved ones, friends, family members. How do we help? What do we do? What do we say? Lord, you will give each of us wisdom. Thank you. I pray for those here, Lord, who have been timid and have not been bold or forthright enough in humbly pursuing truth and raising questions. And I pray that this morning, right now, you would give them boldness and strength and your comfort. I pray for those who, hearing this, could tend to move towards delighting in controversy more than you, Jesus. And I pray that you would give those who love being right, those who love making others look wrong, Lord, that they would see that that's a tendency in their hearts and that they would be wise and just humble themselves before the cross and meet you in this. I pray, Lord, for Mercy Hill Church that you would guard us from false teaching. I pray that you'd guard us from error. I pray that you'd make all of us vigilant in the word so that we can help each other. I just want to say, church, one of the ways you're going to keep us from falling into false teaching is by you studying the scriptures. Okay? So, Lord, help, help people to really believe that. Help us all to study your word more faithfully, Lord. And thank you, Jesus, for your love for the church and that you would love us so much that you would give us these words of warning and that you'd help us to pursue them. Thank you for this powerful word and for your promise of help in obeying it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.